Everyone who has participated in the making of this podcast has their own living experience in adoption and or permanency. You may find that adoption stories we talk about evoke strong feelings, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. This is very normal and is to be expected. Take the time you need to listen and reflect. Feel free to take pauses if you like, or even go on a walk to make yourself comfortable. And don't forget to breathe. Let's get started. Welcome to podcast three of our adoption series focusing on secrecy. I'm Diane Mathis. We had a lovely time talking to some individuals in adoption in podcast one and two, and we have brought that group together. We have all of them here looking at some further questions about secrecy in their lives. So we have with us Dawn and Cindy and Karen and Wendy all in the same place with both Travis and I moderating. So maybe we can just take a moment and have each of you just say hello. Hi, I'm Karen Lynn. I'm Wendy Rowling. I'm Cindy Stewart. And I'm Don Tracy. And with me is Travis Oak. And I think we'll let Travis get us rolling. Thanks, Diane. For the first two podcasts, we, we talked about secrecy and adoption. And we're really going to focus on moving past secrecy and adoption because we're not stuck there anymore, but it's an ongoing process. It doesn't mean that there still isn't secrecy embedded in our journey, but we are working at moving past secrecy. And so I want to ask the first question, what did you need to move past secrecy, to break through and to start telling your secret? Dawn, would you like to answer that question? What helped you move through secrecy? I think honestly, what helped me move through it is it became too painful to not move through it. I think there were circumstances in my life that were not feeling right. That's the only way I can describe it. Things were not feeling right in my life. It certainly came in stages for me. So I think at first, I had no inclination at all that the sadness, the unhappiness, not dissatisfaction, I think I would say, that I was feeling as a young adult was related to the fact that I was adopted at all. In fact, I didn't think it had anything to do with the fact that I was adopted. It was only when I started to speak to professionals that I started to realize that, okay, there were some dynamics in my family, in my adoptive family, that certainly contributed to this. But the big one that was never talked about was adoption. And it didn't even really become that clear to me that it was adoption until I became a mom. And then when I had these babies in my house, and I was caring for them and loving them, you know, I just kept going back to thinking about how could my birth mother have left me? Because I couldn't even put my son in the crib next to my bed, never mind leave a building. And then as, as I really started to, uh, needed to understand that better, what that experience was like for her, it forced me into uncovering and unraveling, you know, the secrets, because I needed to understand that experience 
I needed to understand what it was like for her. I needed to understand what it was like for my birth father. And those little bits of paper that I got, you know, from the Children's Aid Society with my social history just didn't give me enough. I needed to know more. So that started it was just that need to really understand what their experience was. And what was it that really helped you start to understand that experience? It's something that happened gradually. You know, I don't think it was a one-time revelation, so to speak. I think that it was really sort of this gradual, like peeling off layers of finding little bits of information. For me, you know, the finding of my original parents was not and is not an easy journey. It's always been little tiny bits of pieces of information. And with every piece of information I've been able to glean and every relationship I've been able to make, you know, within my original family, I've gotten more of that whole picture. Every time there's sort of another layer of dust that gets cleared away. And I feel like I get closer and closer to who I am. You know, that core of who I am at the center. I mean, practically speaking, it took therapy, took a lot of therapy. And it also took, you know, connecting with other people who've had similar experiences, who understood it, where I didn't need to over-explain everything all the time. And I needed to talk about it. I needed to tell people about it. I needed to share because the talking about it and the telling about it also helped me understand it. So it was like, as I was talking, I was listening at the same time, if that makes any sense. So the talking about it helped me process it as well. And the more I understood about secrets and how those secrets impacted me and made me feel that I was unworthy and that I didn't deserve things, uh, that I wasn't enough. I realized how damaging it was. And then once I started to understand that the secret itself was causing me so much damage, I couldn't stop talking about it. And I hear you saying that it ultimately just became too painful. And then talking about it helped ease some of that pain and helped you move through that. And it's not too dissimilar to the little child who skins his knee and then tells every single person he runs into or she runs into about what happened and how I skinned my knee and then it bled and then this happened to me. It's not too dissimilar to that, is it? No, it's not. And in fact, uh, as you were saying that, I started smiling because I remember when I was sort of deep into the search, there was a song I used to play. It was much more dramatic than a child skinning their knee. But the, the lyric in the song was talking about how they were walking around bleeding and nobody noticed. Mm. And I think as I really started to understand, you know, how much pain I was carrying, it did to me feel like I was walking around bleeding and nobody noticed. And so when I think about what might have helped as a younger person, you know, I think for my family to really acknowledge, like my adoptive parents, to acknowledge and understand and express the reality of our family, instead of pretending that it was just the same as if they had given birth to me, 
and that there was some grief and sadness connected to this for all of us, I think that would have made a tremendous difference. And I really hear you, you Don, saying as you retold and retold and retold, it was almost like you were carving the truth in your own being, in your own mind and heart and body of what was real and what was true and what was beneath those secrets. And it took a yeah. lot of rotations. It took a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, times of doing that. I mean, I'm still doing it. Yeah. I'm right here. Wendy, would you like to address that? I'm wondering, is that, did you have a similar experience? Yeah, a lot of what Dawn was just saying really resonated with me. In my case, I started to move beyond the secrets out of a combination of naivete and determination. I lived most of my early life with no idea that the secret was hurting me in any way. Obviously, I was curious about who my parents were, but I didn't feel anything in relation to that. I thought about it. It was it was in my head. And it wasn't until I connected with my original family and met them that the scab came off the wound, to go back to the skin knee analogy. And I really was overcome with a tidal wave of emotion around that. But because I had spent so many years of my life being very open about the fact that I was adopted, it didn't occur to me that I shouldn't talk about what I was feeling when this started to happen. And when I did that, I was met with horrified reactions from pretty much everybody who I told. The horror, the embarrassment, the disgust that they felt for me, or that's how I perceived it, that I was having these feelings. Right away, there was this disconnect between what I thought, which was, I'm... I've, I'm having this experience. I want to talk about this. There's nothing wrong with my experience. This is a this is the reaction I'm having, and clearly there's something wrong with what I'm feeling here or how people are perceiving this. I started off being very naive about it, just talking about it, and then I began to think, you know what? You guys are wrong. Like what I'm feeling here, this is legitimate, and what I'm what I'm feeling, like I can't control this, and I need help. So like Dawn, I went to therapy for quite a long time. I joined a support group. Because of the kind of person I am, I read everything I could get my hands on. I read and I read and I read and I read it. All of those experiences reinforced in me the idea that what I was feeling was an appropriate reaction to what had happened, that the secrecy was what was making other people so uncomfortable with my feelings. And that led me to thinking this secrecy, this is, there's so many things about this that are wrong and this has to end. And then I chose to channel a lot of those feelings into advocacy work. And they, they really fueled me for a long time as we advocated for the opening of adoption records in Ontario. So Travis, the answer to your question is that practically like Dawn, I went to therapy. I, joined a support group. I talked to other people who were having similar experiences and I read a lot. But really inside of me, it was this expectation that people would accept what I was saying and coming up against the fact that they didn't and then thinking, this has to change. And so, Wendy, I find myself being curious about now. 
you know, I think I'm still saying this has to change, that there are secrets that are impacting people who are all in different stages of the adoption journey. And frankly, me too, where I am still today, I'm a lot less naive about this than I was 25 years ago, more than 25 years ago. I'm a lot less naive. So I'm much, much choosier about what I choose to share and when I choose to share it because I know I'm not always going to be met with understanding. Every time I make a choice not to share my complete truth, I am more and more convinced that I have to speak out because it's only by speaking out that I validate what happened to myself and I hope helps to validate the experience and the feelings with everybody else who's listening, that everybody will take that away with them and will react more positively the next time someone tells them something like this. Well, and I really hear you and Dawn both saying something really important. You know, you're saying things like, I I became less naive, I became more able to talk about it. But I also hear that when people don't hear and understand it or, or can't be present with accepting it, whatever words you put to that, you became more choosy about who you talk to. And so in some ways, that's another form of of secrecy. And so Mm -hmm. that step or that movement to be able to say, recognize, I didn't tell my whole truth and be committed to that whole truth, whatever that is in that moment, feels really significant to me in your words. And it feels significant to me, too, because it has to be a conscious choice, because the easier thing to do would be not to talk about it. That's easier. Actually, let me qualify that. The easier thing to do would be not to talk about it with people who haven't lived the experience. It's validating and easy to talk about it with people who have, but we have to talk about it. We have to move beyond the secrecy because it's the secrecy that holds us back and keeps us down and stops us individually, personally from moving forward, but also stops us from creating a system that works better for everybody who's in it. Thank you, Wendy. Karen, listening to Dawn and to Wendy talk, and I know that you are also an advocate, and that's one thing that helped you move through secrecy. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to move through secrecy, but is really struggling with maybe their fear of what Wendy just talked about, that people not understanding and rejecting your your story. I think that the best thing that people can do is to understand how systemic adoption is. And it hasn't always been the same, and it's not the same now, how hopefully it will be. And that way, you don't take it personally, if you can get to the point of not taking it personally, because people say same thing to me over and over again when I occasionally stepped out of my shell and talked about my suffering as a result of the trauma of losing my first child. And then they would say, but but why did you do it then? Now have learned just not to take it personally because that's how the system of adoption worked and probably still does in, in many cases. One thing I always find interesting, I did right from the beginning, I've been doing this for, I don't know, about 27 years, listening to people and talking to them. How interesting it is that what adoptees say who have examined the system, like Don and Wendy, 
how much we are mirrored. I mean, some of the things they said, I have said, and I could say, I wonder if we somehow developed these mirror neurons <laughs> with each other. It's not exactly the same, but it sure is close. I mean, Wendy said the tidal wave hit her later. And of course, she, she was a baby. She had to grow up. Well, I was 19. I didn't have to grow up. So the tidal wave hit me right at the beginning. And I was prevented from talking about it. even if I showed my grief, I was prevented from talking about it. And I think that was really damaging. And eventually I started thinking, hey, wait a minute. This isn't fair. <laughs> people don't even want to know the truth. What would I tell people? That was your original question, how to get through it. Well, first of all, talk to sympathetic people at first, because then you, you start to develop the language of talking about your experience. So a great therapist and peer support. Peer support is invaluable. I found so much support among adopted people. Not universal, because some of them bought the system too. And in 1995, when I was telling a group, mostly adoptees, that I had lost my son, one person was very angry at me because she said, what do you mean you lost it? You can lose your wallet, but it's not the same as losing your child. In other words, it was, it was your fault. I posed a question to myself at that time. What is it that convinced a normal, healthy, strong, sane young woman to surrender her child? So there are a few key points. There's poverty, for one thing, because even if you come from a middle-class family, if no one's going to support you, you are poor. You're a teenager without two cents to rub together. And also the conviction by all the, uh, the doctors, the nurses, the social workers, the, the clerics, the, the everybody in society that if you really love your child, you will give him up. And that's not actually true, but that's what they believe and they were part of the system. So in a way, I don't blame them because people react systemically, don't they? Well, and I wonder, Karen, too, if you're, you're saying something, I think there is something really important that I hear about the system and there is an irrationality to some of what created the secrets. Because when you decide to put a system in place that isn't based on truth and isn't really based on individuals' needs, there has to be a rationality to the justifications for that. Yeah. And so much of what I think people in adoption end up or in permanency end up doing is trying to make sense of irrationality at times. Yeah, when all of the elders around you are telling you this is the way it is and you're a kid and you have to come up with a new idea, it's not easy. No wonder it takes years. Or you're a young woman who is looking for reasons to make it make sense, even if the reasons make it you less than, you not good enough, you not whatever the reality is. The year my son was born, there was a conference in Toronto called The Problem of Unmarried Mothers. 
And of course, it was actually illegal for a long time, too. So we come out of this history of shame and blame. So it's not surprising that people in general would perpetuate it because they haven't had the experience. And so they believe it. And it's up to us, the people who have experienced it and experienced trauma coming out of it, to tell them it's a, it's a tall order. So, but I do really hear you saying moving beyond fear is about having an understanding of the history, having an understanding of where some of this comes from, takes it out not only of the personal, but the individual. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a distinction that might be important. It isn't individual women or individual children or individual youth, and it isn't personal. So what I would like is I'd like... I would like it to become a human right to be able to keep the child that you bore. Obviously, notwithstanding abuse, unless I'm talking about um, non-abusive parents. And of course, I had never harmed a kid in my life before my son was born. So I, I would like it to be embedded in law. I really would, a human right. And we are living in, in a an era of developing human rights, and I don't see why we don't deserve it too. And similarly, the right for adopted people to be raised by the people who bore them when possible. And the uh, state has no business interfering with that possibility. They should support it. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Cindy, we haven't heard from you yet. I'm sure you'll echo many of the the feelings of our panel so far, but would you mind talking to what helped you move through secrecy and adoption? Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks, Travis. You're, you're right. I'm sitting here just listening, as we always do when we get together, and nodding my agreement on all the points that everybody has made. For me, the couple points that I'm just going to add, because everything else I'm like, yes, I agree with all of this stuff, is that I had to give myself permission to be able to look into my history. I had to say to myself, it's okay, Cindy, because of all the other issues that everybody has talked about, about society and the secrecy of adoption and how I grew up in that secrecy piece. One of the things that I found for me was allowing myself and giving myself permission to be able to look for my history, figure out who I am. It's okay that it's different. Being around other people, families or adoptees and understanding that, yeah, it's okay. I have these feelings. It's okay that I want to figure out more of my history and a confirmation from other people that living in an adoptive life, it's different. It's different than traditional parenting. Having that confirmation certainly helped me to try and move through the secrecy and talk more about my story. And it's still not easy. I think even now, uh, sharing some of our pieces, I feel very vulnerable. But I think we have to do it. I think we have to tell our truths, because hopefully somebody else will hear it and think, maybe think about that, maybe make a different choice. And what sort of things helped you, Cindy, move through that? Education. So again, I did a lot of reading, learning, learning about, you know, more information out there now than there ever has been, which has been very good. Again, connecting with other adoptees, other members of the galaxy, 
learning the history. I think that's a big piece that Karen talks about a lot, learning about the history of adoption. How was it evolved? and how we need to change some of those systems because it creates the secrecy for us let's change some of those systems so we're not feeling like we have to be so secret about everything so secret about our lives and i think that because secrecy is so embedded in adoption that these resources sometimes are secret the counselors that can understand our experience the groups where we can find connection, I think they're secrets as well. I agree. And it's important that people who are embedded in secrecy find these safe places. I've heard that mm -hmm. over and over from the panel that someone who understands what I'm talking about, nobody said the words that, you know, someone who doesn't think I'm crazy for feeling the things that I feel. Right. And I think that's so important in being kind to ourselves and understanding our own experience uh -huh. and moving through, moving past secrecy. There is a, a little spark. I think we all have it. And it's whether we act on that piece of us that says, you know, let's move forward. I found it really interesting, Cindy, when you said I had to give myself permission. I think there's so much in those words. I had to give myself permission because permission is choice. And choice comes when we feel strong enough to choose ourselves. I mean, it took me immediately back to the moment when I said to my husband, I think I'm getting on a plane and going to a province called Newfoundland. I don't know why I'm going. I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know what's coming out of it. But I kind of just know I have to do it. And that was more important than his disapproval or my fear. And I think however we get there, there's a point of saying, I need to do this, whatever the this is to move beyond that. And it did feel to me like he might leave me, my parents might disown me, my kids may never speak to me again, because that fear of rejection, you know, there's so many parts to it but it's finding a way to feel important enough to give ourselves permission to move beyond but it's a big movement and I hear that element in many different words being spoken by all of you whatever that this was for each of you we hope you've enjoyed this conversation as we mentioned at the beginning, this might have stirred up some strong feelings for you, particularly if you are on an adoption or permanency journey. Please don't hesitate to reach out to the ACO if you'd like to connect with others who understand. In our next episode, we will continue our conversation together and hear more from the group about secrecy and its long-lasting impact. We hope you'll join us.